Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJuria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. This is an all-indie episode on U.S. Nationals Week, and my guest is Tony Pedregon. Eric Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. The big question, who's going to win at the big go? Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polachek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28 thousandths at the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey, everybody. Brian Loans here, NHRA Insider Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this episode on Dodge SRT, NHRA U.S. Nationals Week. This is, of course, the week that I think all of us uh, mark off in our calendars every year or even don't even have to anymore because it has happened for so many years at the same time. Of course, Labor Day weekend is traditional U.S. Nationals time, and it, and it has been for so many years. The event runs since 1961 at Indianapolis, where we're all heading this weekend. Lucas Oil Raceway. A great venue and a venue capable of hanging on to what appears to be about 870 some entries to this year's Dodge SRT US Nationals. This race becomes this year, believe it or not, it becomes the longest continuously running drag racing event on earth. And there was only one other race that was a, had a longer continuously running tenure than the US Nationals, and that was the World Series of Drag Racing that was started in 1954. And ran every single year from 1954 until 2020. They did not run the World Series of Drag Racing last year. And by not running that, we did run the U.S. Nationals. And we will run it again this year. It makes this the longest running, continuous, singular event in the sport of drag racing. Which is an honor that... Um, it was really the last honor to bestow on this event, right? It has pretty much every other nomenclature to it, whether we talk about size or prestige or, um, you know, the way that people perform at Lucas Oil Raceway, Indianapolis, uh, all of it points to the fact that it's, it's, it's the biggest, most important, most awesome drag race on earth. I have always felt so. I've always felt the energy of the place, and I cannot wait to get going on Wednesday. I'll be working with Alan Reinhardt calling Sportsman Action for NHRA.TV as well as those folks in the venue. So if you're an NHRA.TV subscriber, great. If not, I do believe you will be able to watch the first couple of days of U.S. National Sportsman Racing coverage for free on NHRA.TV. You just go and sign up. You don't have to give any information, no credit card, none of that stuff. Uh, you simply go and make an account with your email address, and you are in business to watch Sportsman Drag Racing. This is always a special week, too, because of what leads up to it. We have all these events that happen across the country, and the size of a race, to me, the size of a race can really be dictated by the the things that are spun off of it or the events that support it. When we talk about Daytona 500, we also talk about a numerous numbers of short track stock car races that happen in Florida that week or dirt track races that happen in Florida that week. When we talk about the U.S. Nationals, we can look at and say, okay, what else is going on that week that leads me to believe this is a huge event? Uh, well, Maple Grove Division One, that was a, a regional event that a lot of racers are using as a tune-up to make their runs, make their make their best impression there, and then they would tow to Indy, which they're doing right now. Uh, NMCA Ohio, one of their biggest races. Loads of Copo and uh, Cobra Jet-style racers go there, as well as stock and super stock racers make a lot of runs, and then they head north. Factory Stock Showdown cars as well run there, and now they're heading north. Bowling Green, Kentucky. Always a massive, massive event the weekend before the U.S. Nationals. Another blowout, four or 500 cars down there. Many of those cars heading to the U.S. Nationals. Um, they have been parking cars at 
uh, Lucas Oil Raceway since Sunday evening, and they will be parking them until we get going on Wednesday. And I think it's great. Uh, about 150 cars, I believe, were parked on Sunday evening, people that were lined up at the gate quite literally, and they are going to be flowing in there like wine today. All those racers from the various regional events around the country. Oh, by the way, there was also a Division 5 regional happening that is also, a, I believe, a feeder event for the U.S. Nationals as well. So to me, we look at that spider web of importance. We look at the size of this race and why people so desperately want to get a couple of runs in, get an event under their under their belt before they show up at Indy because it is unforgiving and, it, and it's and it's amazing place and they know that they'll be facing the best in the world there is no escaping it we have full fields everywhere um from alcohol funny car to pro modified all of our camping world categories are full and overflowing so it is going to be uh, very entertaining qualifying what begins on friday night which will be aired live on fs1 and then of course eliminations will will happen on sunday for this year and the other thing I was going to mention is the fact that there is an incredible, incredible amount of news that will be coming this week. Some of it will involve the schedule. Some of it will involve upcoming U.S. Nationals. Some of it will involve um, racers. Some of it will involve teams and sponsors and specialty events. And there are things coming this week that you, I guarantee you, cannot see coming. I guarantee it, and it makes me giddy. And again, listen, at my job, I get to hear some stuff that that, uh, maybe bubbles up a little bit early, or I get let in on some stuff that's going to be happening because we're going to be covering it on the the television show. We want to be informed. But let me just tell you this. This is, for the first time, and I'm going to say three, four, five years um, specifically, I can think of that we are going to have as much news being announced at, being dropped, being let loose at the U.S. Nationals than we have in a very long time. So it always adds to this environment. When you have the huge race, you have the pomp and circumstance, you have events like the Hemi shootout, you have events like uh, class eliminations where you got, you know, basically every fast stalker in the universe is there. You have all this stuff happening. And then you start adding these news breaks to it. You start adding these news drops, these press releases, these um, knowledge bombs, if you will. It makes the U.S. Nationals, it cements it as the importance of that event. So there's all that going on, and I'm not at liberty to reveal a lot of it. Uh, I will say that the one thing I can reveal, and maybe not get myself into too much trouble, is that the U.S. Nationals um, ending on Sundays is not going to become permanent history or permanent future looking forward. We did it last year for obvious reasons, did it this year for obvious reasons, but it does not appear as though that's going to be the, the norm going ahead, which makes my heart sing. Jags All-Stars this weekend, I mentioned it, it bears mentioning again, which also ratchets up the, the the sportsman element of the U.S. Nationals in the sense that maybe racers that weren't going to attend from way out in Division 6 or way out in Division 7 or way down in Division 4, maybe those racers that weren't going to attend but they're part of the Jags All-Stars, they're in now, baby, because Jags is helping them get there with uh, with their, their tow money and, and the available prize money, a hundred some thousand dollars on the line for the All-Stars. That's going to be an incredible deal that's going to happen on Friday. Of course, that event used to happen in Chicago, and uh, we know that Chicago is no longer open for business because of reasons known only to NASCAR that owns the place, or ISC, or whatever we're going to call it. So that event moved to Indy in 2020, and it made it made perfect sense. It was one of the things in 2020 that made everybody happy. There weren't that many of those things in 2020, but the All-Stars going to the U.S. Nationals made a lot of people happy, and once it came off, everybody looked around and went, this is what it should be. This is what it's got to be. Everybody coming to the biggest race of the year. Let's throw the all-star race in there. Let's have some fun. And that's exactly what happened. And I'm glad that uh, that is going to be 
the lockdown location for the Jags All-Stars moving ahead. We're going to talk to Tony Pedragon today. We're going to talk to him about a multitude of, uh, of different things. We're going to go through the classes, talk about teams that are hot, teams that aren't, teams that are doing the right things, teams that need to change stuff up, and kind of how their approach can change to get them success in this countdown. We're going to break down each category as to the, uh, the kind of the countdown setup, who can move where and what can happen. Of course, Funny Car is just the complete mental insanity of that class that just can't seem to get itself sorted out in the best way possible entertaining for us maybe not so entertaining for the players that can't get that solid footing to try to establish themselves ahead of the pack and before we go to talk to Tony um, you know a couple of things I wanted to bring up in in the sense of this race the U.S. Nationals you know looking at it year over year um, we come to this U.S. Nationals in a, in a way that we basically came to the 2005 U.S. Nationals uh, looking back that far uh, the folks in Louisiana that have been hit by Hurricane Ida, um, which is a, a different style of storm uh, than Katrina was, but still the same just level of uh, Mother Nature devastation is being wrought down there, which is going to keep some racers away and home, as you'd expect. They have to maintain their lives and businesses and protect their property and, and do everything humanly possible that is, in effect, more important than NHRA Camping World or Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series action. And we respect that, and we love those people, and and we mean that. These are dedicated fans. These are dedicated racers. These are dedicated people to the sport, and you never want to see somebody afflicted by a disaster, the likes of which Ida has wrought on the uh, southern Louisiana area. In 2005, we came to the U.S. Nationals. It was when Katrina hit, and uh, oddly, just it's not odd timing because of the fact that this is hurricane season, and this is when these things happen, but I do remember it was my first time ever attending the U.S. Nationals in 2005. I was there as a reporter, and I remember the price of gasoline rising by a dollar plus a day. Every day I drive by the gas station, and it went from like a buck and a half, whatever it was at the time, then two fifty, three fifty. And I believe when I went to leave, it was about five bucks, five and a half bucks a gallon. And it would not surprise me because of what we've seen and what they've mentioned as far as the production being all but shut down in the Gulf as this storm came through. We may be feeling some of the effects of that as well, hopefully just on the short term. But there is that similarity to 2005. I do remember racers, uh, you know, often coming to the tower. Those of us that had, at the time, you know, people had wireless cards and stuff like that. It wasn't the fact that everybody had internet access in the pits. So people would be coming up asking us what's going on, what highways are open, what um, what highways are closed. And, and it really was very interesting to, to kind of have that interaction with people. A lot of racers packed up and said, let's just go race at India. We'll figure it out when we get back. And, um, you know, some of them came back to places that were intact and some of them came back to places that were that were really uh, heavily damaged. So we wish the best for all of our fans in Louisiana, all of our racers from that area. We hope your power is restored quickly and, of course, that your, your property and, and all the people that uh, you know and love and your family, your friends, your neighbors are, are all in, uh, in okay shape down there because it certainly looked like one heck of a tough time as Ida came ashore. There are other similarities we can draw and and look back on with this race. I think we can look right back to 2020. And when we talk about what the U.S. Nationals was in 2020, it was a, a unique race because everything in 2020 was unique. But it was this race where it was the fourth race we had had at Lucas Oil Raceway Indianapolis. Um, it was a, a, a safe harbor for us to compete in. It was a place where we felt as though as an organization we had a, a, an ability to race there that we didn't in many other parts of the country through the summer. 
There were rumors that were just rampant, and as all rumors, 99% of them anyway, were completely false. There were people saying, well, that's it. They're going to run the U.S. Nationals, and uh, they're going to end the season right then. Of course we didn't. Uh, we ended up going to Gainesville next and then St. Louis and, and, and right on down the line. Uh, we ran the the Houston race and Dallas and Vegas. We did not go to Pomona, of course. So um, that was just in, a, in, a, in an environment where it, it was f- it was so familiar to roll up into Indy, but it still felt like Indy. This year, though, the fact that we have been away for the year the fact that we are only going to race there, at least to this point in the year, we're only going to race there once, it does feel to me more like a pre-2020 U.S. Nationals. There is always, for me, personally, an anticipation of showing up at this particular racetrack and understanding what it looks like and what it smells like and what it feels like and what the the event announcing booth on the first floor is like, or the second floor, rather, and then what our TV booth, which is on the top floor, is like. Um all of those things. It is a place that has so many memories uh, for myself personally and, and obviously for the people that have been attending as a fan for 30 years, 40 years, whatever you've been doing for a racer. If it's your first time, it's your 50th time. Um, it, it is a special thing. And, and you know, we're going to talk to Tony Pedregon about that. Some of his indie memories, either growing up as a kid following along from California or, of course, competing as a professional funny car racer. The race does mean different things for different people. And what it means for me, when we look at it in an overall sense, it is a great, I want to say a great bellwether, if you will, for what the health of our sport is. I think when we look at how many and who and from where the people come from to compete at Indy, it shows us just how healthy or where we need to work. And I look at what our car counts are across the board, and they're, they're strong. And they're strong nationally. Tony Gerardo and Funny Car coming all the way from Northern California. We got people coming from the East Coast, North and South. And with the Canadian border still being a big question mark in a lot of ways, I think we are still going to be short on Canadian competitors. And so, you know, there are elements here that are left to improve. Of course, there's going to be a lot of discussion, not just this weekend, but in the weeks to come with the NHRA. I know that there's a kind of a dedicated task force working on. Um, adjustments to make the car counts better in our in our pro categories that is something that uh has shown itself several times this year to be problematic i mean there's no way to get around it uh brainerd in the in the top fuel category top fuel is funny because top fuel a couple of years ago was looking like top fuel was going to be the category that was going to have a bumper crop of cars and then one reason or another top fuel is the category that has lagged this year in car count nitro funny car has not had those level of issues we've certainly had some some 14, 15 car fields, but we've not really seen the shortness that we have in top fuel. U.S. Nationals, we have no shortness. Last I checked, 20 and 20 on both sides of the entry sheet for the Nitro Burners, 20, I believe 21 pro stock cars, 19 or 20 pro stock motorcycles. So um, they're out there. There have been 38 different people that have competed in top fuel this year, but they're competing at a very sporadic kind of time frame and schedule, and the NHRA is, uh, is not figuring that this issue is just going to take care of itself they're being proactive and i know there's going to be some meetings amongst drivers and team owners in the nhra over the course of the u.s nationals so um i think what's cool to me is that this is a problem that has been recognized and there are real concrete solutions being placed together as we speak to make this situation better does it turn the ship in the first six weeks that these decisions are made does it turn it by the time we get to the countdown maybe not uh, does it turn it for the next year? Oh, I think it does. 
And I think there are some other situations that are out there in a positive manner that have not come to light yet that will, um, will also be positive in terms of our car count and stuff going forward. But I am excited as all get out to go to the U.S. Nationals, and I am also excited to have our first guest on here, Tony Pedregon. Let the conversation begin. All right, so our guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast on Indie Week is none other than Mr. Tony Pedregon. Tony, how you doing, man? Good. Good morning, Brian. This is good, man. This is uh, this is shaping up, I think, to be a really good week in a, in a lot of different ways. Obviously, um, you know, we're we're all hurting for the people that are down in Louisiana. We know that there are racers from that area that are dealing with the the, the, the nature of that storm, just like we really saw in 2005 at Indy with uh, Katrina coming into town. But in the context of the race that we're going to have this week, man, it is shaping up to be a big one. Yeah, it really is, Brian. And it you know it always starts with the weather. And you know, I looked at the forecast. It, it you know, depending on how much steak or what, what you put into the forecast. But either way you slice it, it's there's a cooling trend here in Indianapolis. And, you know, for anyone that's been in this area or in the Midwest, it's been hot. I'm talking 90 degrees and humid. And if you're on the West Coast, you do not know humidity until you come out here <laughs> to the Midwest. It, it, it's, been, it's been horrible, but that's going to change. Uh, we're going to get some rain. Uh, which we could use, I'm sure the farmers could use in this area over the next couple of days. But the best news is by Wednesday, late Wednesday, it starts to clear, and then things cool off. And, of course, you know, the weather and the climate always dictates, you know, how quick and how fast the cars run. So it looks like it's going to be a good encore to the Brainerd race. Yeah, it looks, I mean, atmospherically, I think we're going to be real close to what we saw in Brainerd. Actually, the DA probably be a little bit lower, right, as we're uh, physically a little bit lower to sea level in Indianapolis. What are, Comparing the two actual race surfaces themselves, because everybody was raving at just how good Brainerd is, and typically we see Indy as being very good because the place is going to have three days of sportsman traffic on it before any of the pro cars get out there. So talk to me just a little bit about comparing the Brainerd racetrack itself to Indy's surface. Well, the surface is comparable, um, you know, in terms of the smoothness. Uh, you know, I don't – anytime any crew chief or tuner, you know, raves about the track, that's a good thing. But you know what it comes down to? I think there was one bump, you know, which – no track is perfect. Right. Well, maybe right. the exception of Vegas until it settles. But that, you know, of course, that ground settles different than almost anywhere else. But, um, you know, every, every track has these little imperfections, and, of course – I think the majority of the time that's the scapegoat. You know, that's oh sure. When you go back to, to Pomona, Pomona was arguably one of the bumpiest tracks. I mean, we saw it. We saw it when cars would do their burnouts and they would, you know, bounce. They've got you know seven eight pounds in the rear tires, so you can see it. And at, especially at the end of the track, but after the finish line, it really doesn't matter. However, there were cars that traversed the track. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna tell you know John Medlin and Dean Antonelli that that track was horrible. Um, They're going to say, yeah, there was bumps all over the place. However, they got through them. So there is a way, you know, to slow. I'll go back to slowing the clutch down. There's a few different ways, several different ways you can do it. You can attack the track, but you know, it all comes down to the, how NHRA preps the track. And, you know, you, there's, there's two sides of the coin. Do you want it perfect? Do you want it sprayed hundred percent all the time? And what that does is that gives you a good quality of racing and a pretty good show like it did at Brainerd. I mean, you go back to that second round in Funny Car. Oh, man. Yeah. And, and you could argue that might have been the second or, or the greatest round of Funny Car racing ever of all time. You know, there was, I think the quickest car was a 389. The slowest car 
was a 395. So they were all grouped together yeah. by two or three hundredths of a second. And, and that's every, that's every, every uh, race that we saw. So, you know, and, and the flip side is, you know, do you want, do you want a track that's, I mean, they're always prepped. One may just be better than the other. And, and do you want to see, you know, do you want to see the tuners talent? Do you want, do you want to see who can slip the clutch better, who can race the track better? And, you know, when you go back in the history of Indy and you look at all the winners, all the funny car winners, you, you know, you occasionally kind of get some guy that just pops up and it's like, wow, how did that guy win the biggest race of the year? <laughs> right. How? It was 90 degrees. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of levels the playing field. We always talk about that. So, um, you know, that I think is going to be one of the question marks. The, the weather, the climate's going to be ideal. Oh, yeah. Um, but how is the track going to be prepped? Is it going to be 100% like Brainerd was? Because if it is, then I think we're going to see a lot of the same kind of performance. How much do you think that element, the the prep element, played into the first qualifying session in Brainerd, which was, for Funny Car again, Top Fuel struggled through that session, but for Funny Car, it was one of the best. It was the single best Friday night we've ever seen out of Funny Cars this season. Uh, obviously, this the race this weekend will be a three-qualifying session race with a Friday night session. So do you expect more of the same on Friday night this week, or do you think we saw maybe a little bit of an anomaly at Brandard and there'll be some regression back? Well, I think that I think what NHRA has done is taken a look at you know the quality of the product, and they want it to be as good as it possibly can. Yeah. And I think that the only way you deliver that is to improve how the track is prepared. And, you know, I think they saw the end result. Uh, and I almost think that it, it took some of the teams, some of the crew chiefs off, off guard. I think going in, they knew um, it was supposed to be better. And I think, I think while we saw a lot of, a lot of consistent cars uh, and a couple of quick ones, I think some were a little disappointed because they were slower than they, yeah. they should have gone. So I think, I don't think they'll make that mistake again, but, you know, I think the communication is improved between the racer and NHRA, the safety safari that prepped the track. And I think the racer is, is going to know exactly what they have. And, you know, one of the hardest things for a lot of these tuners is to detune the car. You know, we saw it at Pomona. They knew, they knew the bumps were there. They knew how the track was prepped, but they just didn't want to change their target. You know, they, I think they thought, so what we end up wound up seeing was a racetrack that a 415 will win the race for you. Yeah. And yeah. I think they were right. Yeah. I mean, that's what it came down to. I don't know that any of them said, let me plug in a 415 because they damn well know how to do it. Oh, sure. Right. They know what adjustments to make and where to slow the clutch down. They just didn't, they just didn't do it. They didn't execute. And, and the one guy that did, well, he rattled off, three consecutive runs of 415 and they were holding the trophy and, and drinking the, the champagne and the beer and all this stuff. And, and, um, you know, that, I, I mean, I, I have an appreciation as a former racer. I just, I have a, an appreciation for both, for both conditions. You know, when the, when the weather's good, the track tends to get quicker and faster. Okay. And there are certain teams that, you know, kind of rise to the top and, you know, of course, when it gets hot and sticky, you got to slip the clutch. All of a sudden, those good cars are, um, you know, they're they're pouring smoke off of those rear tires yeah. for some strange reason. That <laughs> that happens. So, you know, like I said, hey, I, I just, you know, I have an appreciation for that because you you've got to appreciate the guy that knows how to race. You know, there are guys that know how to go quick. 
There are guys that are a little bit better at racing, you know, and there's some that get good at both. And I think, you know, when you talk funny car, there are a few of those guys that do both. And, and even in top fuel, you know, I think, I think there's, there's some guys that can go quick and race. And, and, uh, that's when you get into the conversation about, you know, maybe the top three or four cars. Those are the elite, you know, cars. And, and I, you know, coincidentally, those are going to be the ones that are, you know, battling for that championship. So I'm going to bring up four names in Top Fuel. We can discuss all four of them kind of independently of each other. But to me, they're the four people that, that have the most compelling stories coming into this race. And the four are Steve Torrance, Brittany Forrest, Clay Milliken, and Doug Coletta. So we kind of work our way through the spectrum. But I want to start at number one, and we'll work down to number 10. But, you know, for Steve Torrance, picking up the win in Brainerd, completing that um, that kind of awesome cycle that he has now won at every single national event track. Um you know, we see this team every once in a while, like they, they lose in the first or second round, show a little bit of, of, of humanity, but it never creeps in and affects their operation long term. So now coming off a Brainerd win, Steve did kind of intimate that uh, Hogan was done kind of testing stuff for the countdown. I, I'm almost fearful for, fearful, for, fearful for everyone else coming into Indy if Hogan has now figured out what he's going to do. Well, I, I still, I mean, Steve Torrance is the chosen one. It's not, it's not Jake <laughs> Paul or Logan Paul or any of these guys that are that are wanting to be called boxers, but they're not fighting boxers. But that's not the case with Steve. You know, if you go back to if you go back to Brainerd, it almost seemed that it was they were on a collision course. Brittany Force, who yeah. had the best car, and Steve, who really had the second best car. I mean, you could you could argue that Mike Salinas had a pretty good car, but you know, money can. And I disagree with the song. Money can buy you love, but it can't buy you good reaction time. Yeah. Those come from within. And Mike Salinas, I think he has a top three car, but you know th- that's just something that he's worked on. He's improved. It, he seemed to it seemed to fall off, but you know now is the time to you know to ramp up that level of intensity. But I, I think it was a great race in the final when Steve beat Clay. But had he raced Brittany Force, I don't think they would have raced her the same way that they approached uh, Clay Milliken. I think Clay, um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they surprised the Torrances and and how close the race was. You know, Clay had a very good reaction time. Um, he stepped up to the plate, and it was a great race for it. But if Steve Torrance is lining up with Brittany Force, I got to think that 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 Richard Hogan's going to go to the well. I think he's going to dig a, a little deeper in that pocket and and um, and race race the the Britney Force car a little different. I think and, if, and if that if that's the case in Indy, I think that that'll happen. Yeah, and I think if you look at the Torrance win and in retrospect look back at it, I think it almost makes it more impressive as a team victory, especially that final round where the car goes 371. So it was clearly set up to go 70 71 in that zone. They know all day that Milliken's been running these 72s, just printing tickets like a bracket car, and they also know that Steve had kind of an up and down day up and down day on the starting line. So uh, you know, to me, if we look at it, you know, take that extra step and kind of look on it at the next level, you know, I'm almost thinking that Hogan said, here's what we're going to do. Now it's your turn to pick up the ball and run with it. And obviously he did in the final round. So, again, I think it goes back to the fact that this team just is so well-rounded where the crew chief can say, I know I can get this thing down a very safe 70-71 and it's not going to smoke the tires, but that means you have very little uh, ability to, to give him any leash on the starting line, and Steve didn't give him any. I agree with you. I mean, they and there's another example of a team that that raced. They raced well, and and for that, you know, they they still won the race, even though you know it was a close one. There was a short field that 
that's not going to be the case in Indy. There's going to be a little bit of qualifying drama. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of good cars, and and it's always interesting to see and good to see that you know even some of the cars that we really didn't count on a couple of year or two ago are now you know making very solid runs, running in the low 380 range. Yeah. So I think that's, that's going to make for a good good top fuel story. But I don't think we've seen the best of Steve Torrance. I, I just this year I don't think we've seen it. I think we've seen some pretty impressive performances from Brittany and a couple of other teams. Um, and and I, I just think that, 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 that Torrance, I think, I think they got a little more in the tank. And I think they're going to call on the thunder pretty soon. Uh, Milliken, back-to-back final rounds, um, certainly proving that, uh, that that was not a fluke, certainly proving that Topeka, they, they earned that one, and then Brainerd, of course, they earned their way in there. Um, he did not have the opportunity or the luxury of having a single in Brainerd. He went through Coletta, Salinas, and then Brittany to make that final round. So um, where do you place them when we look at, at just U.S. Nationals' favoritism? And we know Steve's kind of the guy that we're all thinking is, is the favorite coming into this weekend because he should be, but where do you place Clay on that list? I, I think Clay, I mean, Clay is without question. He is, a, I think, better than a top five car. I'm, I'm going to say right now, he's he's got the third best car. Yeah. You know, for a while it almost looked like, you know, you got to rank them in the order they are in the points, Steve and Brittany. <clears throat> but it, I think it ends there. I mean, yeah. Antron's hit or miss. The car is. Um, Salinas, um, good yeah. car. You know, Mike needs to work in some areas. You know, Leah... It seems like they've come up a little short in qualifying, but for a while it looked like the performance of that car, they, you know, we're going to be mixing it up with maybe the top two or three cars, but it just doesn't seem the case. And Clay, it just seemed like, you know, they were able to fire a shot when the conditions were good. Very impressive, you know, for, for Mike Clover to go yeah. in there and be able to, you know, to, to trade punches with, you know, the top two, three tuners in top fuel right now. And they're not going anywhere. I mean, I think they've proved to all of us that they can they can run with the best. They're just as consistent. They can run quick when it's cold. They can run pretty good when it's hot. And all of a sudden, this team seems like they're pretty well-rounded. And I think the only, you know, deficiency they have is, you know, the depth. And yeah. you've got to throw, you know, you got to throw some money. You have to feed these cars good parts. And if they can pace themselves and keep the, the parts damage to a minimum, that's a good car. That's a good right now. It's a it's a top three car. And then the last uh, name I want to bring up to speak of in depth here in top fuel I mentioned before is is Doug Coletta. Now Doug is tenth in points. He really is at no risk. He he cannot be bumped out unless I mean yes, if some sort of cataclysmic event happens and he oils the racetrack all three sessions in qualifying and blah 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 and Josh Hart wins the race and you know the sun rises on the wrong side of the earth tomorrow. Yeah, he could get knocked out. But the reality says that he's going to enter the countdown. In either tenth or ninth, he has, and potentially he could go around Ashley as well. I guess depending on how the race goes. But what what needs to change here? And I know we've been talking about it all season, but no one's come up with the answer. Certainly, we haven't either. But what needs to change for this team? Brian, we've seen the last two races, Doug race Clay, and you know we always, you and I, we talk, we kind of size up the matchups, and you know we try to pick a winner. You know, it's just kind of this little game we play. And then sometimes, you know, our producer, Steve, he puts us on the spot and says, okay, who's yeah. who's your pick? So he can post it in front of everyone. Either make us look good or make us look bad. <laughs> and, you know, we forecasted the outcome of, of the last two races with Clay. You know, we, we kind of picked within a hundredth or two of what Clay would run, something in the low 70s. 
and Doug would probably run a 380. And you know what a what a coincidence he ran 380 in a losing effort, and and uh, he was first off the line, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, both, both times. Runs. Yeah. You know, there again, I'll tell you what's missing. What's missing isn't the guy in the seat. That guy comes to party. Okay. What's missing is someone, some talent, something with both of those cars that they don't have right now. And I, I don't know unless they consult with someone or unless they hire someone and, and you and I talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I can name two guys right now that can go into that program and make it better. But, you know, that's just a, an outsider's perspective. Um, and, and I, I, and I think, I think we're all just waiting for something to change over there. And I, I don't wish anyone, I'm not saying. No, that's exactly. I yeah. Get let go or that guy should get let go. I mean, I know those guys are good people. They work hard, but if you're asking me, I'm just telling you they're missing something in terms of someone that is making the decision on those cars and however they they're running their combination, whether it's, uh, you know, overdrive versus compression versus timing and how they're running the fuel system in tandem with the clutch. Uh, or, you know, I, I mean, you can even really dig deeper and say, was it the camshaft? But it, it's all of those things. It's all of those things because that car has the, the, it has the best equipment money can buy. And while there is some talent there, there's not enough talent. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because we've seen the results, unfortunately, for that team haven't changed, but we've seen the way that the results are being achieved has changed in terms of we no longer look at that car and think it's going to knock the blower off it or huck the rods out of it because that was a problem for a while. They have solved that, but they by solving that problem, it seems like conservatism has solved that problem, and now conservatism has become their biggest problem where if you're going to roll up there and run an 80, which – on a on a warm weekend, if if you're qualified in the top half, you can run an eighty because you're going to be racing somebody that probably can't run eighty flat. But they can't get themselves out of the middle of the field in qualifying, so they always find themselves first or second pair, and then they always find themselves with somebody. and And we've seen this weird split where a lot of times that number eight car or the nine car, the, the split between them is actually fairly wide, and and they're trying to overcome a gap that they're 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 just not able to do. So I you know like everything else. It starts in qualifying, and, and I think it's a tough thing for a lot of like our casual fans to understand, but it doesn't matter if there's 10 cars there or 100 cars there. If you do not qualify well, you're you're really virtually screwed. If there's a 12-car field like we had in Brainerd, and I'm never wishing another 12-car field in my life, but you are absolutely boned if you do not qualify well in a 12-car field because you're going to get somebody that's going drive to you, drive you into the ground. Yeah, you know, Brian, you bring up a good point. I mean, it, hey, they could they could prove us wrong, which is fine with me. Oh yeah, um, because you know, for a while there, they were pretty close to running as quick as you know the, the guys that you need to run as quick as. So Steve Torrance, let's use him, use him as an example. Uh, they were all they were within two to three hundredths of a second, but a lot of parts damage. I mean, they were knocking the blower off. It was a ball of fire. Um, Alan Reinhardt would call it you know, a little puff of smoke, but it was a ball of freaking fire. Okay. And, and, and you can't race like that, you know? So, yeah. so now they've kind of gone to the other extreme and, and, you know, Hey, maybe they're being systematic and, and, you know, why and where they could prove us wrong is, you know, maybe, maybe that was the game plan. You know, maybe they are going to try to slowly step it up now. Um, but the clock's ticking and, you know, of course they have the indie race and then the countdown is, is on. So, um, you know, like I said, 
we could be wrong. Maybe there, maybe that was the strategy. And if it is, I will be the first one to say, you know, I, I said some things that they were missing and, and uh, what they did was pretty impressive. I hope that's the case. But I, I, I just think when you talk about Doug Coletta, you look at Sean Langdon, these are two guys that they're not going to mix it up. They can beat yeah. down anyone yeah. for the most part. And um, they just don't have they don't have the car to go with it. They need the car to complement their you know their talent. Yeah, I mean Langdon's second in the class right now. He's averaging fifty three or fifty four on the starting line. You know, the only guy ahead of him is uh, Ashley, who's averaging like fifty or fifty one. So yeah, to your point. And then Doug is a, a low sixty average, which puts him as always in the top five. But yeah, it'll be interesting. And and you know, you and I joked about it. I think in the truck uh, last race, and I said, you know, if this guy's going to win a title. Doug Coletta, it's not going to be one in the traditional way. Like when he won Indy, the crazy dramatic coasting to the finish line against Billy, all that whole thing. So maybe this is the way Doug Coletta wins a championship. You start at 10th where the whole world is kind of written <laughs> off and you, you climb out of your own grave and, and claw your way back into it. I would love to see it. It would be an incredible story, and, and hopefully those guys can kind of find their way at the U.S. Nationals. Now let's go to Funny Car because, as we've talked about all season, it's just freaking insane. I mean, Hagen leads the points by 15 over Tasca and J.R. Todd. John Force and Caps have led the points. Uh, Height tumbled down to the sixth spot after a first-round loss. I mean, make some sense of this for all of us because at this point, uh, you can't count any one of these cars in the top 10 cannot be counted out for a potential race win. No, I, I agree. I mean, I think we I saw that coming at the beginning of the year. And, you know, it's no it's no big surprise that they're grouped in as, as tight as they are. And, you know, I think, I mean, really, just go back to Brainerd. And who had the best car? Was it was it Cruz? Was it was it the number one qualifier? Was it Tasca? Was it? Hey, it's like all these cars just kind of or was it Tim Wilkerson? Right. You no. Know? So. So uh, I just think that I think that funny car right now, you know, the only guy you're missing is. Raymond Beal and Don Perdome. Right. <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> right. If they were, you plug them into this top ten, that would be like a dream come true. But um, I, I just, you know, it's, I think, I think what it's going to come down to is at least six drivers, maybe seven, that are going to be running for a championship at the last race of the year. And and I, you know, when you you knock the countdown in the playoffs, why do we have it? I personally have always. Uh, been for it. I think it's great. I love the playoffs. I follow NBA, NFL, and uh, I think it's one of the best things. And it's not confusing. You know, we have a regular season and we have the playoffs. Yeah. And and um, I, I just, you know, I, I, I'd be hard to pick one. You know, if you if you go back to the early part of the season, I mean, Task has proven that he can win back-to-back races, and it seemed like he was going to be out of the mix and kind of get muscled by some other teams and you know here here they come you know right back to the top and and then he stayed and tested and you know i i'm not gonna i'm never gonna write off john force but i i wasn't really picking him to be in the top four but based on how they tested uh the monday after brainerd you know that might change things and anytime you start to count out jr todd he goes and wins the biggest race of the dang year you know so (laughs) So what do you say? I mean, it. it I think what it, what it really comes down to is which one of these drivers, because they all have good cars. And they they're do. all going to run pretty good. You can't miss. If you hit and miss, uh, there's going to be a couple guys that aren't missing. And I think what it could it could come down to, and, and they all, when you look at them, you know, they all, they're all pretty talented. Um, you know, I think right now, 
I would say that Force and Alexis are probably the most challenged off the starting line. That could change. Yeah. You know, Force will drop some good reaction times on you, but uh, but he does that in a way that he rolls the car in and cheats, you know, cheats the elapsed time a little bit. That's no big secret. Um, and I love that. I love the fact that he does that because that he lives rent-free in uh, several heads. And, and when these guys go to sleep at night, they're thinking of John Force and how he stages, and I think that's great. And uh, I think Alexis, um, you know, she realizes that she needs to improve. Um, and it seems like she's a little frustrated, but I think those are all good things. That those, those are the things that drive people to be good and that make people good. And they either get good or they don't. But, but right now, that is a good car that can contend. And, you know, and then there's Cruz and Wilkerson. You know, those, those were two of the most impressive cars with the exception of Task at Brainerd. So, you know, it's, you throw them all up and see how the pieces fall. But I think it's going to be about which driver because they're all going to be, they're all going to have good cars. Which driver is going to rise to the occasion and win this for the team? That's what it's going to come down to. Yeah, I agree. And I think the two other interesting elements are the fact that Blake Alexander, you know, by his own admission on the podcast last week, said, hey, we're not. He's like, one, we weren't even really planning that we'd be able to make the countdown, and two, uh, they're not <laughs> planning to run all the countdown races. So really, that makes this a nine-car kind of horse race. And then we double down on that and the fact that, you know, in top field, you're going to have Alex Laughlin running multiple countdown races, actually the majority of the countdown races, who has no chance to win, but does have a car that can go rounds if he gets a handle on a starting line. And you got Josh Hart coming back in Indy, who's going to run the balance of the season. Again, another guy who cannot win a championship, cannot qualify for the countdown unless all this crazy stuff happens, uh, who is a race winner this year. So another differentiator between top field and funny car is that this really will be decided between the nine drivers involved there's not really the high level of potential spoiler to come in. And that's not, I'm not talking a bunch of garbage about Jim Campbell, but you, you have to look at this realistically and say, when we go to cooler weather events in the fall, that car, it, 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 it thrives in the heat, but we're not going to have that heat late in the season. So, and Jim Campbell will actually be part of the countdown, which we should mention because they attended every race and uh, attended every qualifying session. So they actually make it in on the, I guess we call it the participation clause. So it, Technically, it's 11 cars. Alexander's not going to run the whole schedule, so that kind of makes it 10 cars, and one of them being Campbell. I'd still argue that you're really talking about kind of a nine-car race here with um, with upsets. It can be made, of course, by anybody, but I really don't see a disruptor amongst this group of nine. Yeah, I, I um, of course, Blake would be one of them, and, you know, I think it's funny because if they have a good race, it makes you wonder if that changes, you know. Okay. If all of a sudden they're they move Agreed. up to like fifth or sixth in points in one race, and and Jim doesn't say you know hey maybe we should chase this thing a little because that's what you know that's what the the needle in the arm does. Um, but you know one car that that I think could could pose a little threat to any of this top ten is Paulie. I mean there is that there is I, that I, I you know if you look at how that car has performed and you know Paul I I know it's there. I, I think, um, you know, he's missed it uh, the last couple of races. And I even see it in qualifying. You know, I've seen a couple of red light starts. And I think that, you know, and I've always said this, it's it's hard to drive a good car. And I think when he finds his, his comfort zone and his place and his level of confidence, um, I, think, I think he can be good. I know we haven't seen the best of him lately, but that car is pretty good. And, and you got to give it to, to Jim O, you know, for – for getting in there 
and containing the the damage and just getting yeah. a car that was you know having some issues uh steering issues and you know uh, consecutive uh, you know engine explosions that are pretty expensive um that car like like Cruz's car like Wilkerson's car like the Alexis car that car is pretty darn impressive and i think i think when he if if he clicks if he starts clicking i think he could be a big headache for some of these other nine drivers maybe 10 that are that are battling oh they're light years ahead of where they were in gainesville i mean they had that race in gainesville that was really uh, just a, a very tough weekend for him broke a ton of stuff hurt a body and everything and and they went back and and kind of corralled their resources and took some time to get their get their heads right and and that car has been uh, epically improved, you know, since that time. So you're right. Paul Lee could definitely uh, could definitely anger some people, especially if they qualify well. Again, we go back to qualifying, but but that's really it. Let's roll through Pro Stock and Pro Stock Motorcycle here because also they'll be part of the U.S. Nationals. Um, you know, Greg Anderson. I always try to find the angle on why Greg is going to win the race, and he always lets me down. But I'm going to find another <laughs> one here. Uh, Anderson is tied with Warren Johnson right now for, with six wins at the U.S. Nationals. Glidden has eight. WJ and Greg both have six. So now I'm going to say he wins this race because he's going to break that tie and then assume the next tie, which is tying Johnson at 97 wins. Do you buy it? <laughs> I don't believe. I'm not superstitious, <laughs> Brian. You know me. But I'll be damned if I'm going to start believing this guy might be jinxed. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm just joking when I say that. I think that I think the jinx for Greg Anderson has come in the shape of a couple of young drivers, yeah. uh, you know, Aaron Stanfield. You know, and I think anyone that races Greg Anderson, they know he has a better car. And what happens is they start taking shots at you. You know, when you have a good car and it's a little quicker, it qualifies good. Most of these drivers, they they you know, mentally take the approach. I got nothing to lose. You know, I'm going to cut it as close as I can. And, you know, here's Greg, you know, he's pretty steady money. And, um, you know, I think, I think, I think he's going to start to get hungry again. At some point he's going to, you know, like, like most, you know, champions do, they say, you know what, screw this getting beat up on. I'm yeah. going to take it to this guy, forget the, you know, the, the, you know, strategy and, and all the other stuff. And I think he's going to put it together. It's just, I think we're all surprised that it's taken so long, but, um, you know, Greg races the right way. He thinks the right way. He's a very likable person because he's modest. He's modest when he loses, but you know, the true test of a guy is, is, is when he, he's modest when he wins. Yeah. And I think we've seen all of that. <clears throat> and, um, I, I think at some point he's going to land, he's going to land a blow to, <laughs> to this guy. Aaron Stanfield is pretty impressive. And, oh man. You know, yeah. He, uh, It'd be interesting to see how Mason McGahey recovers, you know, from the, uh, you know, from the, from the, the, the battle at the OK Corral. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's so yeah. much talent, you know, I think that, you, you know, you have the older guard and then you have these younger guys like Kyle Koreski, you have Dallas Glenn and, you know, they, they don't only bring talent to the table. They have good cars. And I think, I think for that reason, we're going to see, we're going to see a lot of, what we're expecting in funny car. I think, I think especially when the reset comes, you know, you see the, the big discrepancy now in points, but you know, the, the quality and the dynamic is different than it was at the beginning of the year. And, yeah. you know, again, credit, credit, whoever came up with the countdown in the playoffs. 
yeah, it will it will regroup these guys and uh, certainly put everybody, guys and girls, because we got Erica sitting there in, in third, only uh, 16 points behind Stanfield. And, you know, she's been a little bit quiet these last few races, and obviously her M.O. seems to indicate that once we get into this countdown time that uh, that she can wick it up personally. And it's funny because she's she's dealt with the same thing that Anderson's dealt with with these young drivers, with especially Glenn and Stanfield, and to some degree Koretsky and Troy Jr., in that um, they're, they are – getting the legitimate best shot of all these guys we look at you know erica has the most whole shot losses in the class and yet she has the second best average reaction time we look at the whole shot losses she has and it's people going double o against her and she's she's 15 and somebody's double o three what do you do with that you know no i i agree i mean erica is one of those drivers i mean she's it's like being the quickest gun in the West, right? I mean, every town you go to, somebody wants you know, a piece. Somebody, yeah, somebody, somebody wants to try it out, and uh, you know, I think that's what what's happened to to Erica. But you know, Brian, I think you know, hey, Indy isn't what it used to be. I mean, it may not be as shiny, but it's still it's still the biggest race. It's still the best. I mean, there's a little more, there's a few more points on the line, a little more money on the line, and you know, I I think that. You know, people can. I, I just never want to be artificial about anything. Absolutely. You know? and, and, I, and I know my history with you know with India. I mean, I I'll never forget. And I tell you these stories sometimes because you know most of it was good, it's exciting, and then you know some of it was just you know ended up in tragedy because Cruz and I used to gather around, you know, this radio, our radio, our little you know AM FM radio, and there was a country station. It was KLAC in Southern California. And, and and we knew when the race from Thursday through Monday at five o'clock, uh, it was Dave McClellan would would come in and give a race update, you know. So this country station would interrupt the news and it would say, "Hi everybody, I'm Dave McClellan, giving you bringing you some updates." And it was just one of the most exciting things for us as kids. We'd listen, you know, and he he wouldn't really run down like all the sixteen qualifiers. He would pretty much just give a recap of qualifying, but. That's how big that race was, and I think that's the impact that it had on a lot of people. And you know, I just you know, I see people knocking the sport, and you know, you shouldn't be racing this and that. And you know, I, I think here we are again, and and more normalcy than you know what was last year. Yeah. And and but it is still it's still the biggest race. Everybody wants to win it. There's still a lot of history, and you go back in the history of this sport and all the strange things and, and all the great things. And then, you know, the not so great things that have happened, you know, Blaine, the Blaine yeah. Johnson thing always, you know, stands out. So, uh, you know, one of the things you mentioned is, you know, the people that, you know, that aren't in good shape on the, you know, in, in the South, um, but always, you know, be respectful and remember the history of this race. But, uh, you know, respectfully, that's, that's just one of the things that, you know, that makes up the history of, of the U S nationals. And I think, I think we could see another great one and be a part of another great one. I agree, man. Looking forward to it uh, this weekend. It's going to be great. We have live uh, qualifying on Friday night on FS1, and then we get a long qualifying show that airs Sunday morning on FS1. Our race starts on FS1 at 11 a.m. You're going to watch 11 to 1 on FS1, and then you're going to switch over to your local Fox affiliate or your Fox Broadcast Network at, at 1 p.m. We'll take you through the rest of the day. We're going to have Tobler on the, crew, on the crew this weekend, which I'm really excited about. We're going to have a couple new elements. Uh, we're kind of throwing all the throwing everything we got at it, as we usually do, and uh, it's always a great weekend. I'm actually headed out there tomorrow to do some uh, sportsman work with Alan on Tuesday, and, or rather on Wednesday and Thursday. So it is um, 800 some entries man so it's going to be good 
Brian, uh, unlike Brainerd, you didn't bring a jacket. Bring a jacket because the lows are supposed to be in the mid-50s. I'm going to bring my so, sweet uh, new puffy jacket that I got that fits. It's the right size. Fits well. <laughs> bring it. You'll be glad you did. Tony Pedregon, thank you very much, man. Enjoy uh, the rest of this uh, short week, and then we'll be getting after it hardcore at the end of it. See you soon. Great chat with Tony right there, and certainly want to pick up on a couple elements involving Pro Stock Motorcycle as well, as we didn't uh, cover that in our conversation. But when we come into the U.S. Nationals, of course, Matt Smith is leading the class by a tremendous amount, 813 points to Steve Johnson's 551, and Matt has been uh, pretty much ascendant where Steve has been uh, not exactly treading water. He had made the finals in Norwalk, and then it's been a couple of second-round losses and a first-round loss. Angel made the final against Matt in Pomona, but really Angel is dealing with the after effects of Hurricane Ida, and she's trying to figure out if she's even going to be able to get to the U.S. Nationals. Apparently, her business and home was adversely affected by the storm. As I make this show on Monday afternoon of U.S. Nationals week, there is no real clear indication of whether or not she'll be able to go there. Now, if she isn't able to go there, it would not surprise me if Vance and Hines uh, picked up the phone and put a rider on that Mission Foods motorcycle. So that'll be a story that's kind of developing, I believe, over the course of the next couple of days and evolving. I know she wants to be there. I also know that she's a human being with a family, a home, and a business that may need uh, more attention, unfortunately, than the the drag strip uh, will need this weekend. The end of the top 10 in Pro Stock Motorcycle, the likes of Joey Gladstone, Eddie Krawick, Andrew Hines. And then we go to Corey Reed in 11, Jerry Savoie in 12. Obviously, Savoie, another of our Louisiana-based Pro Stock Motorcycle riders. It would be uh, it would be surprising to see him there. And again, I don't know what his plans are right now, but I know in the past, obviously, his business is highly dependent on the ecosystem in which he lives, the uh, the breeding of, uh, of alligators and, and what he does uh, with his with his crop, if you will, and how he protects them from storms and what's gone on. So we'll find out over the next couple of days if Jerry Savoie will be able to race at the U.S. Nationals. And if he isn't, does that also remove Karen Stouffer from the equation as she is a team bike with Jerry? That is going to be something to watch. Andrew Hines on the bubble of the top 10, not wholly unexpected because, again, he and Eddie didn't race the first two events of the season in the event that they were working to perfect and to get the best Suzuki package they could together to get their customers and especially their team rider, Angel, up and running. So Eddie is now sitting 7th right now, or 8th rather, Joey Gladstone 9, Andrew Hines 10, and Corey Reed 11. Now, Corey Reed is only nine points, or I should say seven points, behind Andrew Hines. In turn, Hines is only eight points behind Gladstone, and in in turn of that, Gladstone is only 20 points behind Eddie Krawick. All this means is that a one-round swing for any of these three drivers can throw chaos into that back part of the program. Karen Stouffer and Angie Smith are not exactly that far out on either Gladstone, Hines, or Krawick either. So the top ten in Pro Stock Motorcycle could radically shift. At least positions 3 through 10 could radically shift by the time the U.S. Nationals is over, and the first couple of rounds of eliminations will begin to tell that story. So Pro Stock Motorcycle is the least settled of the of the top 10s right now in our Camping World Drag Racing Series categories, and I expect to see major changes by either success on the racetrack or inability to get to the racetrack may uh, may adversely affect Angel, may adversely affect Karen Stouffer, certainly may adversely affect Jerry Savoie. So what we're going to see in Pro Stock Motorcycle really will be, in my estimation, the most radical shifting 
either of people in the countdown itself or their beginning positions of it once we get to Maple Grove. So that is yet another of the storylines we'll be tracking hardcore this weekend at the Dodge SRT NHRA US Nationals. Thank you so much for listening to this show. Obviously, I was uh, working to wrangle some drivers and stuff this week, but it is already a very hardcore week for media being done around this race for appearances and for commitments for our drivers especially those that uh, have uh, big sponsors and big hospitality happening at the U.S. Nationals so we are going to be on NHRA.TV all week long starting on Wednesday it'll be me and Alan Reinhardt in the tower calling the likes of time runs and stock eliminator and super stock and comp and all that kind of stuff we'll have stock eliminator class eliminations earlier in the week as well so if you love stocks you stockers you're going to want to do that the Jegs all-stars is, is competition is this weekend that is on Friday and I believe concluding on Saturday at the U.S. Nationals and uh on top of all this, it will be a week of massive amounts of news being dropped by both the organization and race teams. In my job, I get privy to a little inside information and maybe a little bit of advance warning about things before they come out. And I'm telling you this, keep your eyes peeled to not only NHRA.com, but every single drag racing media source you can this week, because there is going to be information, there's going to be news, there's going to be announcements, there's going to be new events announced in ways that uh, will kind of surprise you. And of all this, we're going to be talking about drivers returning to full-time competition in 2021. We're going to be talking about, uh, rather, in 2022 and a whole myriad of other things. I have not been able to pick a negative piece of news out of the torrent of things I know that are coming. And I'm sure there's stuff that I don't know that's coming. So it's going to be very interesting to stay tuned to all of it. I have to go pack my bags and get ready to fly out to Indianapolis, Indiana tomorrow morning to get ready for the start of the Dodge SRT U.S. Nationals on Wednesday. Thank you for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. If you are a hardcore NHRA fan, there is no bigger, there is no better, there is no more awesome week than this one. Cannot wait to send that first pair down the track on Wednesday morning. I hope you'll be tuned in on NHRA.TV, and I hope you're tuned in on FS1 on Friday night, Sunday morning, and then into Sunday afternoon as we move over to the Fox Broadcast network hours and hours of coverage a lot of it is free to view on nhra.tv tune in get your sportsman racing fix this week i'm brian loans thanks to my guest tony pedragon i'll be working with him this week and hopefully you'll be looking at us on tv thanks again